hey, excuse me real quick. Yeah. I'm starting a podcast, and one of the things I want to do is talk to people about how all the things going on is uh, affecting their life and whatever. Okay. After your coffee, would you have a few minutes for a little interview? So normally I'd say yes, but I'm actually uh, skipping work right now. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Got him. Welcome to City in the Hill. My name is James Reinhardt, and today we're going to get to know John and Jennifer. The idea for today's topic was roused by something in my conversation with John, which is really exemplified by Jennifer. So we will get to know both of them. We'll start with Jennifer because she is an ICU nurse at a hospital here in Detroit. And as people in our country are continuing to wrestle with how to respond to the pandemic, I felt that Jennifer's experience is something we all need to take into consideration. So we'll get to know Jennifer. Jump to my short conversation with John, which will bring us to our topic, where I'll share some of my thoughts. And our time will be capped off with a return to Jennifer. Here we go. Hi, my name is James. What's your name? My name is Jennifer. Very good. Uh, one of the things I want to hear from people, sorry. No, I'm just... Give me a second. You just bike here, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get that. You know, I want to know with different people, how, how has the pandemic and things affected your life? Uh, what, uh, what have you gone through? Well, mine's quite a bit different because I work Sorry, in... I should put this closer. Oh, that's okay. I work in the ICU in Southfield. Oh, so, my wife is a resident. She's doing ICU right now. Yeah. That's really rough. So, we were in a very heavy populated area. Yeah, yeah. With, um, I think, 14 beds short in our hospital. Oh, my God. Only one unit that didn't have COVID other than the hospital with COVID. Yeah. I'm a cardio ICU nurse, so we had a lot of sick people. We, oh, man. you know, had to go through a lot. So um, yeah. for me, um, it's a very real situation yes. because yes. of what I watched, what I saw, what people yep. lost. And now I see people doing their best to get back to normal, which I'm happy to see because yeah. it was a tragedy. Yeah. And it's nice to see you know, people out, children out, yeah. and it's nice to see people trying to uh, relive life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because for so long, I think people felt captive, and kind of you were. Yes, yes. You know, people weren't yeah. working. For good reason, going yeah. Out. <laughs> All for the right reasons, but yeah. it's still hard yes. in today's day and age that you yeah. feel so captive. Yes. So it is very nice um, to ride a bike. Yes. <laughs> um, Enjoy the sunshine. To go out in the sunshine, to be able yeah. to go to a grocery store or, you yeah. know, the post office again, and, and so to speak, live life to normal. So. Yeah. We'd be exposed. You must to. be a pretty seasoned nurse. So seasoned enough now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How about Everybody's that? seasoned now, right? <laughs> um, no, but it's it's um it was a new level of nursing that we hadn't seen. Um, a lot of guidelines were put in place yeah. to protect the staff mm-hmm. that um, we would have never thought would have been there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, the severity of the illness of the patient. Yeah. And the quickness of which it happened was yeah. um, striking, quite yes. honestly. Yeah. And so, you know, we just, we did what we had to. We were very fortunate. Our particular hospital in Southfield, we, you know, came close to getting low or out of yes. supplies. But then 
whatever happened, we were able to get more. Yeah, um, yeah that's great. All the big three, like especially yeah. Ford and GM, mm -hmm. came through big for us with like face shields and stuff wow. like that. We got a lot of prototypes in, and yeah. then they took our recommendations and started mass producing for other systems, which was awesome. That's great, wow. Yeah, so a lot of people stepped up, and I, I can only speak for us. We were yeah. fortunate, yeah. maybe mm -hmm. because we're a smaller hospital, although we were basically overrun. Yeah. But like hospitals like Sinai Grace, where they were just, yeah. they were just decimated. Wow. Too many people, too small of a yeah. hospital, not enough staff, not enough supplies. Mm -hmm. Their population down there is, yeah. uh, you know, they serve a very large population down there and they got hit really hard and they just didn't have enough of anything. Wow. Space, supplies, yeah. wow. staff, mm -hmm. you know, medicine. I mean, they just didn't have it and that yeah, was... I mean, staff is getting sick, so that makes it even tougher, Everything, right? just yeah. everything. They just didn't have enough to begin with, you know, yeah. and the, the hospital only holds, I think, less than 300 and they were getting up to two to 300 walk-ups a day. Yeah. So what do you wow. do with that, you I know? Guess. So yeah. it just very real situation people yeah. have to realize too that happened yeah. is that many people lost a loved one and didn't yeah. get that final goodbye and that's that's tragic in yeah. the end when you look mm. at the, the mm -hmm. whole situation so yeah. I, I feel you know we're going to know more yeah coming through this yes and i think that that's going to be to our benefit mm -hmm. and that's going to make us a much more prepared and smarter, yeah. you know, Michigan to go through something like this again yeah. because mm -hmm. we have the population. Yeah. So it can be affected again. Yeah. Can happen so, again. Exactly. I mean, we yeah. can't pretend like it won't. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Um, that you kind of look at. It. Are people going to say, "Oh, it won't strike twice"? Yeah. Yeah. I hope. People, <laughs> I hope people believe. Realize it's a real threat. <laughs> it's a real threat. Okay. At this point, we'll flip over to John. Hey, excuse me real quick. Yeah. I'm starting a podcast, and one of the things I want to do is talk to people about how all the things going on is uh, affecting their life and whatever. Okay. After your coffee, would you have a few minutes for a little interview? So normally I'd say yes, but I'm actually uh, skipping work right now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And it's on my wife and baby in the car. So oh, gosh. I'll have to get out of here. Well, do you mind if I ask a question while you're waiting for yeah, your coffee? Sure. As soon as you got to go, I'm already, I'm already going if you don't yeah, mind. Yeah. So. Absolutely. How, may I ask this, you know, how has whatever pandemic, lockdown kind of shut down your life or affected it or? Uh, you know, so I started a new job and then after the second day they shut down the building. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> said it was unrelated to me starting, but it's hard to like accept that. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> no, but, um, but I've been teleworking ever since and it hasn't really affected me that much. Uh, my wife did voluntary furlough, but it worked out well because she's, uh, like we just had a newborn, so. Wow, yeah, yeah. congratulations. Time with the baby, yeah, nah, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It worked out well. Honestly, all things considered for us, I haven't had to drive to work, and she hasn't had to uh, yeah. go to work, so. It's, yeah, it's, it's yeah, been, yeah. It's been good for us. Yeah, very so. cool. My, the second question I want to ask people is, um, has this sparked anything new? What, what changes have brought this brought to your life that maybe you wouldn't have done, uh, that you would like to continue, or new opportunities in your life, or that you want to continue? Uh, I'm not sure that it really had, to be honest. Like, the teleworking thing, I guess, maybe. But, like, <laughs> You'd be open that, to doing that more, you yeah, mean? Yeah, no, and they've already talked about it at work, too. Yeah. It's probably going to be more uh, open in the future, so maybe, like, a couple days a week or something. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I mean, but honestly, like, beyond that, like, it, like having the baby, that's been my, like, entire That's a, how old, may I ask? He's, uh, five months? Wow, congratulations, yeah. My my son's 16 months, so oh, nice. just kind of just dissimilar a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. Cool. Did you find yourself 
uh, kind of. Two shots of espresso, and I'll be right back to fall that ground. Perfect. Thank you. Oh, got it. Oh, I've had the one that, is that your bag that you're buying? Yeah, yeah. I like that a lot. That was really good. <laughs> I, I thought he had gotten this Ethiopian coffee I had tried before. When it was hot, it was super floral. When it cooled a bit, it had a clear strawberry flavor. And, and later, it had a sweet caramely date-like finish. It was delicious. But, but that was not what he ordered. I just saw the purple label and got excited. Later, I realized it was something I hadn't had before and tried to just let it slide. I <laughs> We're going on a trip until we cool. yeah. Wait, did he say six bags of coffee? I mean, that's like a lot of coffee. And did, did he say a road trip? That must be a long road trip. And with a five-month-old? And have a great time. I'll say more power to you while I hold down a shutter. With, with uh, all that was shutting down and changing, did it change or affect any of your thoughts of spirituality or God or anything? I mean, I'm already a pretty religious person, I guess I'd say. Oh, cool. Or, or yeah, yeah. Person, so it hasn't really, um, in terms of, like, like changing where I stand. But definitely, sure. like, in terms of thinking about what I do with my money and stuff yeah. like that and, and where it's going and trying to trying to be more, like, responsible with that. Yeah. Trying to give more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, obviously, yeah. like, I feel like there's enough money to go around that it's more just a little bit better by yeah. like, giving it out and, you know, stuff. Like, and then, yeah, yeah. has some of the so, I mean, that's, I guess that's where I'm at. Like, yeah. I've changed that, I guess. Very cool. Yeah. When you said you're religious, like, are you a Christian or what kind of yeah, I'm background? Not a yeah, very cool. Well, at that point, John had his six bags of coffee. I had mine, and my kid was still asleep in a cool and safe car. And I drove off. This was my first time trying out this interview idea for the podcast, and I was mostly glad to have had a good conversation. And later, as I reflected on the conversation, I realized he brought up something I didn't expect money. When the country shut down, it wasn't long before my wife and I also had considered how we handled our money and how we were generous with it. I was a violinist by trade and went to a conservatory for college, and many musicians and orchestras have been hugely impacted by the shutdown and the economy. Obviously, no live concerts means a huge drop in revenue for these institutions. Smaller organizations often have less stable donor pools and can exist concert to concert. I remember in my Cleveland days seeing a budding ensemble go under because a big blizzard hit and canceled a single concert. So amid the pandemic, my wife and I sat down and began to consider if and how we should support our friends and community. We are blessed enough in this time to be relatively stable, but we know that the Lord may not always take care of us via financial security. To paraphrase 2 Corinthians 8.14, Our abundance at this present time should supply others' need, because who knows, at another time, their abundance may supply our need. Our stability should be available for those in the world who currently are not. And one day, we may really go through a season of financial need, and we hope to have a community around us who will be there for us. This is a principle of the church we see in the Bible. So beyond offering regularly to our church, we decided to offer in ways beyond that amount to individuals we know. We did two things. Eat more takeout from mom and pop restaurants and send, and send money anonymously to some friends. So John's response in our conversation brought back to my memory something my wife and I had actually done several months before. I'm really glad we gave in the way we did. There's something spiritual about how we handle money. 
Oftentimes, I feel that looking through my finances and paying bills is a spiritual interaction with the Lord. It is so easy for money to go grab our hearts, fears, and hopes in place of the Lord. And often, when I turn to him about how to handle money or how much and to where we should give money, I'm surprised by the closeness and interest I feel from the Lord at those times. Often, when I'm late in offering for the month, the Lord gets on my case, my conscience gets bothered, and I feel arrested in my fellowship with him. Sometimes it seems he won't let me go on in a certain task, even reading the word before I've taken care of it. And I'm surprised by the sense of freedom and openness with the Lord I feel once I've obeyed. I'm not really a money person. I was a musician, you know, I never had any money, never going to make any money, and didn't really want any money. If I can have an Ethiopian coffee once in a while, I mean, hey, I'm good. So I can often let offering slide off my radar. That's also why I get surprised when the Lord really cares about it. The reason is that money reflects where our heart and worship is. Jesus taught in Matthew 5, 19, Do not lay up treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. And he continues with the key point, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, where you lay up your treasure affects where your heart is. Is your heart not as into God as it should be? Is your passion not there? Do you know that God wants to be the center of your life, but you don't know why it's not that real to you? Well, how do you handle your money? Where is your treasure? There your heart will be also. If money is sticky in your hands and dominates your anxieties, where do you think your heart is? A few verses later, Jesus continues, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is where money is so deceptive. You need money to live, and you should be wise with it and trustworthy with it. But do you serve it? Does it master you? You cannot serve God and money. Back to my experiences, this mindset plays to the part of my personality, which is sort of loose about these things. I don't really care about money, and I display that to the Lord by, well, not really keeping a tight track on everything. It's like I'm saying, Lord, money doesn't have a hold on me. See, I'm just for you. I don't want to gain anything from this world. That's why I'm surprised when the Lord really gets on my case about money. It shows me that my attitude is not his. It's not that right. I'm short-sighted about it. Money is really important to God because it is so useful in furthering his purpose on the earth. A wise, measured purity in money matters gives God room to entrust money to us so that he can advance the gospel without the risk of it corrupting us. That is what he is looking for. Who can be a faithful steward with his resource? Perhaps I don't have any money because I'm not as pure with it as I think. Maybe it would really corrupt me. What it comes down to is that the Bible's attitude on money is not that it's evil to be rich or that God wants you to be rich or even always securely provided for. But if you have money, your attitude towards it should be to give. It wants you to give it. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. I'll read them. 
As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, the storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Obviously, there are some limits to giving, because this does not express the perspective that the rich in the church should give until they themselves are poor, or even at a median income. No, here the rich probably stay rich, but they become an active conduit for the Lord to bless. They should have real good works, generous sharings, and a history and habit of doing this sort of good. What about you? How do you handle your money before the Lord? Even if you're in school or even if you don't have much, I'd encourage you to be before the Lord about it. Even if it's just an allowance from your parents, you should pray about giving some portion of it. This is for your heart. This is for your heavenly treasure and usefulness before the Lord. I didn't offer in college. I thought, well, this is just my parents' money or this is all student loans I'm living off of. But I wish I had offered, even a small amount. Offering has been a big blessing to me and my wife, especially when we moved it out of the automatic transfer zone of always the same amount to the same place and brought it into a regular consideration before the Lord. I feel the Lord is active in it, and it seems to me that the Lord is happy with it. Now, I've been using the word offering specifically. Tithing is not an established New Testament practice, but that word draws on the Old Testament example. So 10% is a good principle, but not the New Testament mandate. You should consider before the Lord what is your baseline, 11%, 15%, and where should you offer? I would encourage you to offer to your church in a reliable fashion so that church leaders can be more concerned with the gospel than with paying the bills. But I'd also encourage you to set aside a few extra percent for special offerings, something the Lord can initiate through you. Perhaps not all of how the Lord would lead you would be to individuals in some way, but there are many great needs and causes around us. I've often given to gospel efforts. I give sometimes to church plants or mission work that I personally know. Sometimes I just buy Bibles so that I can give them out freely. But be alive to the Lord about this. And take care to give in a way that brings no attention to yourself. If we feel led to give to an individual, our favorite way is to place an anonymous offering with a designated recipient in our church's offering box. That way, when the individual receives the Lord's monetary provision for their need, they get it from the church and God gets all the glory. Don't give in a way that can be seen before men. If you do... That is all the reward you will get. So in this season of upheaval and uncertainty and change, count your blessings and consider how you can be a more tangible blessing to those around you. How can you give this month? And this is where we're going to turn back to Jennifer because she says some things that give us examples of how to live this out in a beautiful way. Exactly. If you have time, I have two more questions I want to sure. just ask. They don't have to be, no, I appreciate okay. your, your time a lot. Oh, don't so, worry about it. Um, 
you know, I'm wondering what, what, what have we been learning that can be positive and new for this? So my question is for you personally in your own life, your family life, has this created new opportunities, new habits, new relationships, new somethings that you want to continue that you didn't have before, right, once, once life goes back to normal? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, for us, we have, I have a 90-year-old mother-in-law, and she's in her own apartment, but in a senior complex, and yeah. it's very hard for somebody who's not tech-savvy yes. to have gone Be through this. Be on Zoom or she, something. Well, she doesn't know anything. Yep, yep. So it's very hard. They're very isolated, and, you know, she can only talk on the phone. She's got bad hearing. So, you know, a lot of things were in her way, and she felt very alone and very isolated. So, you know, we had to learn new ways to communicate, bring her mm-hmm. little gifts to make her happy yeah. and bring her spirits mm-hmm. up. So, you know, as a family, we all learned, you know, the kind of things that she might want as like little surprises. Yeah. And so we started dropping off care packages to her oh, that's sweet. and then just dropping off care packages just for anybody who maybe didn't have family close and yeah. get here. Yeah. So that was kind of nice, you know, just leaving extra little packages for anybody in the area that's that, really nice. you know, wasn't getting something yeah. from their family. Because, yeah. you know, what if they live five hours away? Yes. You know, to drop something off is not easy. Yeah. So, you so know, even like neighbors or things. Yeah, you exactly. This way you know, oh, my neighbors really, on both. Really nice. All my neighbors around me were all, you know, I've, we've lived together for yeah. 20 something years. So, <laughs> you know, we've, we've uh, been able to lean on each other. You know, my neighbor yeah. couldn't go out because she has an immunocompromise. And yep. I told her what you need. I'll drop your groceries off yeah. on the porch, kind of a thing. And, you know, she would just call me with little things she might need here and there. So it was nice to be able to help her out. Yeah. You know, because she was Yep. You know, and even though I worked in the hospital, which, you know. Yeah, you're high exposure. <laughs> people are freaked out by me. But, yeah, you know, I took yeah. extra precautions when I did stuff for her. So it was yeah. nice, you know, that you could, uh, for me, I think, I feel yeah. at times people help out around them a lot more than maybe they would have because they were too busy. Yeah. Or didn't see it. Mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. when people were home yeah. and actually saw, like, yeah things people needed that yeah. they couldn't do I, I i think people really yeah. as a whole stepped up and became more well, generous really in that respect and i think that's yeah. something going forward i hope we don't lose yes because yeah. i feel like you know i understand we're all working yep adults yeah <laughs> so you know you do become busy when it all happens and you have kids and family yes. and a home and i just hope people don't lose sight of that because you helped during this time that needed you will probably still need that help yeah outside mm-hmm. of that so i just hope people can remember that long term yeah you know, to, that's really great to still check on mm-hmm. the yeah. ones that you help because they probably yeah. are still in a way yeah mm-hmm. that would require some you know assistance or maybe some time yeah, yeah you know yeah. so i hope people do that that's i think great. that's what a lot of people saw yeah i think that's awesome Beautiful and just super practical for us to consider how we can be more engaged in our neighbors' lives and even just how to be there for them in small, simple ways. Well, that's the end of our show. I'd encourage you to consider what is the Lord putting on your heart regarding your money. Are you in stability? Do you have a surplus? Well, maybe that surplus is for someone else. Are you in need? Are you not there? Well, be before the Lord about it. The Lord will provide your need when you depend on him. And maybe his way will come from those around you. Thanks for listening. In our next episode, we will talk about people you should know. And we'll start this series with a 17th century monk named Brother Lawrence and his short spiritual classic, The Practice of the Presence of God. 
If you want to know how to grow closer to God while you're busy with life, this book is for you. So stay tuned. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to comment, share, and leave a review on iTunes. Every little bit helps. My name is James Reinars, and this is City and a Hill. I'll talk to you next time.